Welcome to the Heat of Command podcast, Mastering the Art of Fire Service Leadership. Where we, your hosts, aim to teach you how to use introspection and self-reflection to be your most authentic, genuine self, leader, and human being. And now, here are your hosts. This is Kyle Matusik. And Carrie Henderson. Thanks for joining. Welcome to our next episode on our discussions and interviews with our generations in the fire service. Today, we get to go into my generation and talk a little bit about millennials in the workplace. And I think this is a really cool generation right now because we're starting to see millennials enter uh, leadership roles within our industry. And so we're starting to see them on both sides, you know, still uh, within the blue shirts, the rank and file, but also moving up the ranks and starting to apply some of the leadership traits that they've developed over the years and bring those to the front lines and the forefront of progressing our industry. So today we are bringing a millennial on and I'm going to have him introduce himself, but he is a firefighter with the Naperville Fire Department and his name is uh, Chris. So Chris, if you want to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, thanks for having me on. Like I said, my name's Chris, and I work for the Naperville Fire Department. I've been there going on 13 years. Before that, I did a short stint part-time with the Elburn Fire Department. With the Naperville Fire Department, I'm pretty much involved in everything. I'm on our hazmat team, technical rescue team. I lead our cadet program. I help proctor the CPAT tests. Um, Just try to be involved and help out as much as I can and raising the next generation of fire service with our cadet program. That's probably my crown jewel that I value the most is that program because seeing kids come into the fire service and not know what a fire hose is and then leaving so skilled that you want them on your crew. Um, it's just awesome. So that's probably my bright spot of the fire service and what I value most. Well, I think that'll give us some great insight, especially that you get the opportunity to work with, you know, the young young kids coming up uh, into the industry and not even in the industry, correct? As, as cadets, they're too young to even get the job. Right. It's like pre, it's like high school students and early college students. Yeah. So you have a big impact on, you know, trying to fill those gaps in terms of recruitment and retention is what we're seeing here, especially in Illinois. Carrie doesn't see the same things we're seeing within uh, retention and recruiting um, at her department. So that's uh, pretty exciting. And you're also an acting officer, correct? Yeah, I'm currently assigned our station one as the acting officer. All right. You so. also get to see a lot uh, with the, the next generation. So your firsthand knowledge of what Gen Alpha is going to be and, and what, we're, uh, what we get to look forward to with the next gen- generations coming in. So a lot of Gen, gen Zers coming through your cadet program. Oh, yeah. It, it's. I think it's a mixed bag. You get some students that are they fit right in catch on. And then there's other learning styles that you have to adapt to. So it really tests your teaching ability and leadership skills to get this next generation up to speed to where we're at. So as we look at millennials and, you know, we, we always talk about the generalities of millennials and each generation, and we understand that they might not all apply to us, but, you know, Millennials really are hard on this work-life balance. Uh, they, you know, there was a time where everybody got a participation trophy, you know, for the sports that we played and how that parlayed into our careers and how that shaped us. So give us a little bit maybe about how you look at leadership, your approach to it, and how you 
through your history and your past, like how you came to that? I'm a little with the participation trophies. I kind of have, I find that to be a little funny because I was going through some stuff that I have stored from when I was a kid and I came up with this bowling trophy and it said first place. And I'm showing my kids that, and they're like, oh, that's awesome. You're first. I'm like, nah, don't think too much of it because my handicap was super high and it pretty much showed up and we got first place in my group. So, um, yeah, I tend to think negatively of those things and um, you have to earn what you get. Um, yeah, I'm just not one that, like the helicopter parenting type thing with those aspects. I'm of a different mindset, not your, I guess, atypical millennial. You know, the more the old soul, um, work hard for what you get, earn what you get, and don't be happy with getting handed something. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it, it, sorry, Kyle. It's been interesting. Every person that we've interviewed for each generation, we've come in pretty hard on like, all right, you're a baby boomer. You've got to be these things. You're Gen X. You've got to be these things. And what Kyle and I have figured out pretty quick is, so much of it's not true. Like we have pegged generations hard, like participation trophies and Gen Xers are cynical and baby boomers are, you know, hardheaded or whatever. But we, every person we've interviewed has not fit the mold. And it, and so right off the bat, here we are with you, Chris, and same deal. You know, it's just, we, we I think Kyle and I have learned our lesson that, you know, it's, it's not as hard and fast as we thought it would be. Yeah. And you know, it, as we continue down this, it's almost like we need to stop the conversation across the board, you know, not industry-wide, country-wide, whatever, on generational differences. Like, that conversation needs to end, and it's almost how do we meet younger people where they're at and then tell them why we are the way we are. And then you could get rid of the whole generation umbrella and putting people under this certain things. Uh, It's just learning how to progress every industry out there and progress a way of human life and how uh, environments and events have impacted us and made us who we are, understanding that, uh, passing on the strengths of those lessons to the younger people coming in, and then, you know, allowing them to continue to grow and not make the same mistakes we did. So, yeah, as w- it's just been very interesting. It's almost like, yeah, we need to stop these generational con- uh, conversations and just learn how to be decent human beings and and spreading our knowledge on to younger people to keep progressing in industry going forward. So with that, you know, and in the position as a, a cadet, and you're seeing, you know, high schoolers, so that, you know, we're starting to look – even past the Gen Zers, like how is you, how has that developed you as a leader? Uh, what are some uh, kind of those lessons that you have learned? And then I guess on top of that, yeah, it, this is going to be kind of a loaded question here, but how do you meet them where they're at or do you expect them to meet you where you're at? One thing I look for right away is like we changed our whole process of how we accept kids into our program because we're fine if we just take everybody it's not going to work out for them. Fire service isn't for everybody. So when we change to one-on-one interviews, some things I like to look for in them, are you a football player? Are you a basketball player? Are you part of team sports? I really like, and I've seen a huge difference in kids who play team sports come into our program versus ones who are never been a part of sporting that they stay home, play video games all the time and um, don't communicate with other people, don't have an authority figure like a coach so a non-parent authority figure that can yell at them um, in their life. 
And I've noticed a, a big communication difference in those kids and performance because they don't know how to act with the other people as part of like a fire company. So when we got those in, it was a very hard for us. And how I deal with that is I take the officers that are cadets and I tell them, hey, I want you to go one-on-one with this person and teach them. And so I put the honus back on. To, I lead the, our officers and then those officers will bridge that gap and we bring it up that way. And I found that way to be very successful using kids of their own generation to help mold them um, and help them grow. I love that. Um, and it's interesting, your your theory on the teams thing, because I have felt like that too. I felt that way that um, when we do recruitment events and go out there and look at the next generation, <clears throat> that people that have come through some sort of organizational group like that do do fit in or do a lot better. Uh, I've I, have seen that too. And you're right. It, they know how to lean on someone else and how to depend on other people and how they have to pull their own weight and do their own part as part of the teams. And I do this when I add that when I say that a non-parent that can yell at them, I don't mean I yell at all our cadets because that's one thing. I don't yell at all. I try not to yell at all because that's not how people learn. If they're so nervous, they're going to screw up. They're never going to perform well. So I try not to yell at them. But when we do high-stress events like live fire training, and you have to talk firmly to somebody. I don't want that to be the first time that that's happened so that they, you know, cower down and they don't perform well. So that's what I mean by someone, a non-parent that yells at them. I, I don't yell or talk firmly in a, you know, in a commanding voice, I guess. No, I knew what you meant. It's, 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 well, I keep saying kids, but it's, it's individuals that have, have grown up or been a part of something where they've had to get feedback regularly. So they're used to getting feedback from someone that's not mom or dad. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially last year when I learned about Fairfax County and what they're doing as far as training, I, I, my mind's still blown on that. And I'm just like, I, I wonder if that's ever going to move, you know, because <clears throat> I think it's very valuable, you know, on what they explained very quickly, uh, but how they flip that script, you know, I remember going through the academy and I think Chris hit on it just excellent, you know, the yelling and how people learn. And, you know, initially off the cuff, there's a lot of people that will say, well, if you're not getting yelled at, then what do we say, right? You're soft, you're weak, blah, blah, blah. And we're breaking those myths. No, we want people to learn. And we know that when we are taking this stance and this posture of yelling, people aren't going to learn. And people say, well, the military does it. Yeah, the military spends a lot of money into the psychology behind boot camps. And they have a specific purpose that they're trying to get out of these uh, kids going in and through boot camp. And they invest in that process. They also keep them for 8, 10, 12 weeks and shut everything out. So it's a very specific way of learning and training where the fire academy is not that way. You go home every day. You know, and a lot of times I remember going through, you just get guys who like to yell at people because they can. And it's like, we're not teaching then. We're just being jerks to be jerks. And this is the way it is. And I like, you know, we see somebody taking a leadership role, leading cadets, and our approach is changing. And that's called progress. And that's very, very cool to hear and, and see what you're doing with the cadets. Yeah, I and even the military is changing. Yeah. The way they're, they're, you know, yeah. doing boot camps and, and the responsibility that they give now to their, you know, brand new soldiers coming in. It's much different than it used to be. And, and I think if you're going to use a model where you're yelling, if you don't understand 
the science or the psychology behind it, then it's probably not practical application for you to use. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes we yell, but right. for the most part, adult learners, we are hiring adults. Yes, they some of them are very young, but they're adult learners and, and we have to figure out you know, how to best teach them. Yeah, and I came through and I grew up in a fire academy and first department where yelling was pretty much the norm and some of the training was punitive and I know how I respond or didn't respond to that. And so when I deal with either new probationary members or our cadets, I, I do the exact opposite because we want, like we talk about recruitment and retention. How do you retain people? It's you make an inviting atmosphere, comfortable atmosphere because our job, it can kill you and you want to be at closeness and be able to trust uh, the person next to you, whether it's their first day or it's their last day. And I think that having that atmosphere with the new people and building that it's invaluable. Yeah. I, I've seen a lot, a lot, a lot of recruit academies. I've been in training a long time and, and I've seen it go both ways. And there is a, there is a hundred percent time in the academy where you stress recruits because people need to know what their stress response is. How do they handle it? Do they freeze? Can they work through some of that? You know, those, all of those hormones that dump when you get nervous or stressed or scared, have, you know, they have to learn to work through that. But if, if they come from a place first where they've been taught in a environment where they can really learn and learn the skills, and then you stress them, they're much more likely to be successful when that stress reaction hits them. They have to work through it. So, all right, let, uh, can I ask a question now? Okay. Um, so I, millennials are fascinating to me because I'm right. I'm, I'm not, I'm barely a Gen Xer. I'm like right on the cusp of Gen X and millennials. So I have a she ton of millennials. She wants to be a millennial. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I grew up with MTV. I'm Gen X. <laughs> we're the micro, right? We're the Oregon yeah. trail, right? I like that yeah. one. Yes. We're in between. That's right. That's right. Um, so lots of, there's lots of questions that I have for you, but one thing I was thinking about is, um, I read that millennials probably were the first generation that wasn't as interested in like the primary goal in probably most baby boomer and, and Gen X was like advancement, like got to advance, got to climb that ladder where millennials started hey, I, I want to do something for the greater good. And you, I've heard some parts of that, I think is what you've been saying, like you're working with these cadets and you're doing all these things to be involved in your department. And it sounds like maybe that's probably a quality of yours is just cr cr having the opportunity to contribute to the greater good. And maybe your first priority wasn't advancement. It was, it was do all these other things and advancement's great and it's rewarding, but like, how do you feel about that? You have to agree a little bit. Um, when I first got hired, my our training lieutenant was his name is George Highland, and he was I think just promoted to lieutenant shortly before that, maybe within a year. And he had some years on, and he told me, and something that stuck with me is that he wanted to wait until he had at least ten years on the job before he tested to get promoted. One, it does a couple of things: you get to learn about the city, learn um, everything about the fire department, you hone in your skill, and then it also gives you credibility with the other guys. Um, because if you're for us, you can test once you have five years on. So if you are five years, you test, maybe do really well, you get promoted, but you're 
just got hired like in five years. That's your beginning. So why would someone want to work for an officer that only has five years and is viewed as a kid almost? So I took that and let's work a while until you get promoted. Learn your job, learn your skill, build trust with your members, build credibility with your members that you're working with, and then look for advancement. One thing my dad, who was also a fireman, he was a, a lieutenant, and he, he tried to be attested for battalion chief and chief. And um, he told me that always try to achieve the highest level of success you can. And so I interpreted that initially as, well, I better get promoted. And then I looked back at that and I'm like, well, maybe I need to be a really good blue shirt, a really good backstep guy or a really good engineer before that is something, being an officer is something I should do. So I took that to heart and I worked really hard and I feel very confident in my firefighting skills, my engineer skills, paramedic skills. Now I'm probably an okay paramedic. I haven't been on an ambulance in a while, so I would not call 911 expecting me to show up. Uh, and say that tongue in cheek, but it's still, it's what you practice. And um, so, yeah, that, as far as advancement, I felt like I had to earn that more versus something that would be because I have X amount of years on, I should be entitled to me. I got, and that's how I feel about promotion and seeking that out. Good stuff. Super, super, super well said. Yeah, we we um we asked us I asked a question a little bit differently to our baby boomer and Gen X, but I did ask them about how do they feel like about seniority? Like should seniority should seniority count a great deal towards like promotional like promotional process? And that I, you're you're kind of alluding to that. Like no, it's all the other stuff. It's all the other stuff you put in, other than just being here. X number of years. And we, we did ask our baby boomer and our Gen X about work-life balance. How do you manage your work-life balance? What is, what does that look like for you? That's a really tough one. Um, again, looking back and I learned from, like we all do learn from watching our parents and having a father who's in the fire service, I learned, look back and try to model myself after him to a point. Um, he did his shift day and then he would go work. He worked for Kmart for a real long time. So he uh, worked there on his days off. And then when that career ended, he worked in the fire prevention bureau. And so he was always working and he was never home. And some people can look at that as, oh, he didn't want to be home, didn't want to be a part of us. And he loved the fire service and wanted to be in on that. But it also afforded my mom to be able to stay home with us. So I look back and like, oh, that's awesome that he sacrificed that for us. But it's not exactly the roadmap I'm trying to take. Like, I like my time off. I love it. And I know a lot of guys of the millennial generation do like their time off. They like to travel. A lot of my friends I see traveling way more than I do. Um, but as far as work life, it, it's super tough, especially being part of our the cadet program. Um, I get emails, phone calls, text messages all day long. So to try to ignore them and focus more on family and myself, it's, it's a struggle every day. Like you wouldn't think that, oh, it's just a cadet program. You're not going to get that much. I get inundated with emails all the time from parents, prospective cadets, fire chiefs, um, people from other departments that are looking to start a cadet program. They want my advice. So it's a lot of time and effort into that. So there's some times where I just have to delete all the email apps, the training apps on my phone. And it's like, nope, not today. So it, it is tough. And it's a struggle. I'm going to go backwards for a second. <laughs> I was sitting here pondering uh, when you guys were, uh, you two were talking about uh, success and what success looks like for the millennial generation. And I think that was an awesome question. I, it, it really got like me thinking like, wow. And I look at my own organization and I look at people who are testing to move up and 
there's like no millennials that want it, you know? And it's like, hmm, that's interesting. So what, you know, redefining success, I guess, what are you seeing in your organization as far as people taking the next lieutenant's exam or battalion chiefs? Are you seeing less and less of younger people wanting to move up quicker? I think we're organizationally in a different spot than most departments. Back about 30 or 20 to 30 years ago, our department grew. Our city blew up. So if anyone listening is familiar with the Chicagoland area, we know 20 years ago, Naperville just blew up from like 30,000 to 100,000 people. So we added 20 people um, in one hiring group and 20 people in another hiring group. So we had large hiring groups who are all now retiring and we're hiring more. So people of my era, so the 10 to 20 year experienced people are the ones testing. So it's all younger people that are testing. There's really not too many people that are, you know, 50, 55 years old, they're first-time test takers now. It's all people 27 to 40, 45, that are taking the promotional exam. Hmm. Hey, it's really interesting times we're finding ourselves in, isn't it? It is. We have, we have a lot of really young um, folks that are eligible now to assess. And it's interesting because... We do like a practical component, a role play exercise, a written test, excuse me. And then you get some points for um, a little bit of points for like some classes you've taken and degrees and stuff like that. But the majority of it is a practical exercise. And man, our young folks are just smoking it. They're just killing it. You can tell that they've really worked to perfect their craft and they come in and just, um, I've been very impressed. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, and you probably could attest to this more than us as, uh, you know, your career being a little bit longer, but it's almost the profession itself has gotten, for lack of better words, more professional, if you understand kind of what I mean by that as terms of, you know, education and certifications and the, the job that we do, you know, it used to be you know, just, uh, an extremely blue collar job, not saying that it's not anymore, but you know, just people off the streets would come in, they get on a fire truck, they go run into a house with a hose. And our job is so much more than that now. It's almost like it is, it's, there's a lot of more professionalism behind it than I think maybe it was 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, I agree. And the culture forced that, you know, that lightweight construction and furnishings changing and, and us just, and also the technology we have, all these science and information at our fingertips to be able to learn and, and, and do so much more research and, and really you can study our jobs more than you probably ever could before. And there's so much more out there to learn. And, and some of our younger folks are just, and I, I'm not saying our older folks aren't, aren't doing that. They hundred percent are too, but the younger folks, man, just are excited and they're just so into it and, and, and bringing such cool stuff back from classes that they take. That's one thing that I think we're alluding to like having a degree and education in the job. It's like all of our chiefs in our department um, have advanced degrees, whether it's through the National Fire Academy or just uh, any school. And then you see it working down the chain of normal blue shirt guys. Uh, my crew, our last bid cycle, every night after dinner and after everything's all wrapped up, they're both on their laptops. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, oh, I'm finishing up my degree. Like, oh, I really need to do that. <laughs> I, I, 
I don't want to do it, but it's like to keep up with everybody else in society, you have to have a bachelor's degree. And so I took me 10 years to get my associates through different means because I, you know, had to grow up, get a job and then go back to school. Um, but yeah, it seems like everybody nowadays has a bachelor, at least a bachelor's degree. And to be competitive in the promotional process, you have to have a bachelor's degree, and more so in the fire service or fire science, I should say. But yeah, it's everybody's been preached in society forever now is to have a degree. Right. Yeah. So what, uh, uh, Kyle, you good? We shift gears. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Millennials also uh, started kind of a little bit of cultural change and flexible schedules where I feel like baby boomers, Gen Xers came to work. We're going to work whatever schedule you're going to tell me to work. And I think millennials have figured out that there are other options out there. So, you know, you could, I tell, I say this line all the time, like, why would you work Christmas and your kid's birthday every year for the next 20 years when you could work? in the Bahamas on a boat on your laptop, right? But millennials kind of first got into that like flexible work schedules. And I know it's really hard in the fire service to come up with a shift schedule other than what kind of we have, because we have to staff trucks. We have to, but you know, we have to be there for our citizens. But what is your thought on like different work schedules or like different shift stuff? That has been a topic of conversation we've had around the firehouse. Um, we do have like a very unique schedule. I love it. Kyle and I were talking before we started recording here about working a five day work week. I'm like, I can't do that. Like I love having my two days off. Um, other schedules, like I've heard, I know our city here in Auburn, they're going to be moving to a 4896 schedule. I'm like, well, I can't work 48. I'm getting too old for that. Being a young millennial, getting too old for a 48 hour shift. Um, but when you're you're running all night long, it, it kind of wears on you. But schedule-wise, I think our schedule is awesome. I know other busier departments, they'll run you know day shifts and then night shifts and then switch and all that. And I don't know. I guess it's all what you're used to. Uh, to work in a boat in the Bahamas on a computer sounds awesome. Uh, maybe one day. But, and I tell my wife all the time, I wish I could work from home. I hear all these people working from home. Just send a fire engine over here. I'll drive it all the way out there. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's it would be nice to have a flexible schedule, but it's, again, it's all what you're used to. Like, we take one day off. We have a week off. Uh, we're very fortunate in April. They give us a Kelly day every ninth shift. So once a month, I have a week off. So I, I can't complain too much about that. I, I love our schedule, honestly. Yeah, that sounds good. I love our, our the shift schedule that we have here where I live, too. I like it, too. Um it's just something I hear sometimes, especially it's probably more Gen Z, you know, trying to appeal to Gen Z is, is, you know, some sort of different schedule. And, and we're getting so busy here that I wonder if 24s will be sustainable. Will you just be exhausted from running just, you know, all night long, 24 hours at a time. So. Yeah. We just put a new community EMS vehicle in service um, to begin the year. And when they're, um, beta testing it and sending surveys out to the job. That was one of the things that they asked about because they're a citywide vehicle and they can run a ton of different calls. Um, would a 2472 schedule be better? Because it could be up for 24 hours based on the type of calls that they're going to be running and follow-ups that they have to do and all that. And that ended up not going that way, but it was talked about of running the 2472 because of the increased workload that that vehicle would have. 
And I think there was a lot of interest in switching to that um, based on the survey results that I was able to see. And that's so awesome that your department is at least having the conversation, that they're at least going, you know, do we change, you know, because that's a change from something you've probably, you've always, you've always done. And, and just to be cognizant and, and willing to have the conversations about it is, is what Kyle and I talk about all the time is at least have the conversations about what's best and, and, and not staying the same all the time. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, it's almost, you look at millennials and I, I just remember getting on the job and all the bad things that were constantly said about our generation. And, you know, one of the biggest things I, I remember is they always want to know why, you know, they always ask the question why. And as we talk about, I think collaboration is very important, especially when you start getting younger people in that are more educated, that, you know, have degrees, even though I understand it's not the practical job of firefighting, but having a, a, a background, an educational background, your your analytical thinking tends could be better, right? So it's like having that mindset of thinking and why, why are we doing these things? Can we do it better? Do you think, I, I really don't know how I want to put, put this, but in terms of that, asking why, you know, in the beginning of your career, was that kind of an issue you uh, were confronted with coming in as a new millennial? And then as we have progressed, as asking that question why and establishing more collaborative efforts, has that been proven to be beneficial where you're at? I think having a higher education, it just helps you critically think better. Like the, and, but that also can come with other class in the fire service you take too. Mm-hmm. Like they offer a wide variety of stuff. So I think it, it definitely helps your critical thinking. And one thing that I, I'm a huge hands-on learner. I don't like to sit. I don't like PowerPoints. I hate PowerPoints. And when I took over our cadet program, that's all they did was PowerPoints for three hours every two weeks. And the attendance showed, um, and I vowed to them, I'll never do a PowerPoint. And it took like four years. And I'm like, okay, I got to do a PowerPoint. We got to <laughs> do this. We got to have the classroom education. Right. I found out that I was teaching and developing very, very good people to go out there and do hands on any skill you want them to do. They can do it with their eyes closed and backwards. But then the critical thinking aspect of stuff, it just, it wasn't quite there. So we tried to get more classroom stuff. Maybe it's just not my forte, which is why it didn't 100% work out. But there, I feel that there has to be a dichotomy there, the practicals versus the classroom stuff to really hone in your skill and develop not only as a firefighter, but as a person and all of that. That was one thing I'd forgotten about, Kyle, that I'm glad you brought up is is the millennials and Gen Z starting to ask why. I think Gen X too started the the why. Yeah. You know, why and maybe not as much, but, you know, involve me so I can understand better. And, and I wonder if when Gen Xers started to ask why, millennials started to ask why, did it cause heartache because we didn't have good answers? Right. It's like, it was, oh, well, this, this is how we do it, right? Uh, so the why, we weren't mad that you had all these questions. We were mad because we didn't have the answers <laughs> to why we were doing things the way we were doing, or maybe it was the people before us, but... Um, yeah. Well, one thing I've come across, and maybe it's just the people I was dealing with, but it could be in general, is like when you have an officer and you go, well, why did you do that? That can be taken one of two ways. One, if you're like, oh, you want to learn why I did this? Okay, come here. Let me show you how it is. Or it could be like, are you second guessing me? Why are you asking why? 
And I love, and I'll tell my officer, like when I go there, I'm going to ask you why. Don't take offense to it because I'm learning. I'm an acting officer. I want to be an officer one day. Not only do I want to be an officer, I want to be a good officer. So I'm going to ask why all the time to the point where you tell me to shut up. Uh, and, and that's what I do. And I've been very, very fortunate to have um, good officers and good leaders to be mentored under that asking why was never a bad thing. It was highly encouraged. So that's what I always tell our new guys and our cadets is like, please, if you don't understand anything, ask why. I'm not going to take offense. It's a great opportunity to teach you why. So I, I do think asking why has had a, a bad name to it and because people feel that they're being second-guessed when it's just not the case. Yeah, and I, I love that you were cognizant enough to tell your officer, hey, I'm this is why I'm asking it. So then he's, you know, his guard is down. Like, oh, okay, you're not, you know you're not second guessing me and you're just, you know, asking to know and to learn. And so for you to take that approach helps the officer too, not immediately get defensive. So that's good stuff. It, you know, through, through all our interviews it's been cool. Cause you kind of see the progress, right? Like it, it's, and, and how the progress has happened. Cause now, you know, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, if your cadets ask you why they don't need to preface with, Hey, I, it's because I really want to know, and I'm not second guessing you, right? Right, that's right, correct. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you see how he could see it a later generation being like, hey, I got to approach this correctly. Because if I don't, it's going to be misconstrued and, you know, it's going to be looked at as me being aggressive and they're going to get defensive, shut down. So, this is how I have to approach it, which, you know, great job. But then when I'm in that role, in that leadership role, you don't need to preface with that. I got it. If you ask why, I'm going to give you an answer why, and I'm not going to take offense to it. So it's just cool how you just we just could see and illustrate how everything just continues to to progress in a good way. So awesome. Yeah, and I think when I I can remember when I was in the fire academy, you know, as a young Gen Xer back in the day at the fire academy, and I sometimes I would ask questions, but a lot of times it was like. I don't want to seem stupid and I don't want to ask a dumb question because there wasn't a big culture of asking questions yet. And so I would, I wouldn't ask. And then I wouldn't be quite sure how to do something or what we were supposed to be doing. And then I'd get yelled at and they'd be like, why didn't you ask? It's like, well, you really didn't want me to ask. <laughs> it wasn't really set up that way. So yeah. And we have, we have evolved. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah one thing, in terms of asking questions is when I was first getting all my certificates to take the lieutenant's test, we had to take the company officer handbook. I was one of the first ones on our job to do it and go through the whole thing. And I was doing shadow officer time on our engine and we got a fire alarm. And so we're going and a truck company was coming with us from a different station. And so we get there and ADS is there. They're just working on the alarm, forgot to take it out of service. I'm like, okay, I know I need to return the truck because we don't need them. It's not a fire, not an emergency. And I turned to my officer, I'm like, Brandon, what do I do? I had no idea what to do. So I had to ask him, and I tell all the new people, pay attention to the rank above you so you can learn, ask questions, ask that why question of, okay, you've returned them. You, this time you can take an alarm out of service. This time you cannot take it out of service. Like, why are you doing that? What is your methods behind what you're doing? And I found that that experience on the scene of a call to be very humbling because I hadn't asked too many questions or when I'm riding backwards, like we like to call it riding stupid because you can zone out and play games on your phone and do whatever. But like riding backwards, anytime I'm backwards now, it's a job shadow day. I 
pay attention to what the officer's doing. I pay attention to what the battalion is doing so that when I'm required to do something, I don't have to ask. I can do it, think ahead to what the needs of my officers are. And I try to portray that to all of our new hires as well. So good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Kyle and I talk a lot about like introspection and like figuring your, that's just, those are words everyone could live by right there. I think. I want to hit on real quick, Carrie, I don't know if you had anything else, but I want to hit on the uh, um, independence and or being dependent, you know, because we hit it on with both the other generations. And it'd just be cool to get your opinion on this, Chris, and just seeing where everybody's at. But as far as, you know, your your career and your your professional development and, and all this, you know, we look at baby boomers and Gen Xers and they were very independent uh, generations. And even that crossover micro generation of you know, in between Gen X and millennials, kind of the same thing. Latchkey kids go, you know, you just had to be home by the time the lights were, were the streetlights went on and you were left to your own, own decisions and own will without any direction, which, which enabled a lot of dependence. But as that started to shift, uh, we started losing some of that independence in early childhood, which I think is a good thing. Uh, and, but then people started becoming more, more and more dependent. So kind of what are you seeing in the cadets as far as A, being uh, more dependent on needing that strong leader mentor? They're not going to be so self, um, you know, self-motivated. You have to apply some of that. And then you personally, like wh- wh- what's your stand- stance on kind of that independence growth versus having a strong leader mentor in your life that, that can help guide you? As far as it goes with our cadets, I think there is a um, – there's not a consensus. Just, you can't blanket statement all of them. I have some that show up an hour to two hours before our meetings to get everything set up. They're very motivated to do stuff. Then I have other cadets that show up five minutes before and hope that somebody set their gear out for them. So we had there is a um, a difference in kids or young adults that their motivation level is different from myself. I when I grew up first through eighth grade, I was homeschooled and then went to a public high school. And so as far as book learning for me, I'm a very independent learner. I'd rather study by myself and do things by myself. When it comes to practical stuff. I would rather have a partner and be dependent on someone else. Hey, let's work through it together. Um, but as far as like studying a book work, I know when we have our promotional testing, there's study groups that get together. I never participate with them. Um, I'm very independent in like that style of learning. Um, but as far as the young, that's next generation coming in, I can see some are very good independent, some are very good leaders, and then there's others that need that external motivation um, to get things done. One thing I was a huge listener to is David Goggins. I'm mm-hmm. sure a lot of people are familiar with him. And one thing he spoke on that really hit home with me because I was big. I mean, I look like it now, but I ran a lot of half marathons and a lot of races, um, obstacle course races. And I always had to have my earbuds in, always had to have music and listen to that. And one thing he said was like, well, what if your phone dies? Or what if your headphone batteries die? What are you going to do then? Are you just going to stop? I said, like, that's a great... Uh, great question you need that internal motivation so i started running without any music whatsoever just listening to outside and my footsteps and breathing and so i try to get that internal motivation and carrying it over um into other aspects of my life as well and i think it's a great strength that you can have above someone else who needs external motivation there is so much hope for the world (laughs) listening to everyone that we've talked to that's like you know, I'm getting to be an old lady now, I feel like, but like, I just, 
Uh, I just love talking to millennials and Gen Z and just all the self-awareness that I did not have for so long. It's almost like we need to find that person who's like really salty and is like against everything we're saying to help yeah. us with our points. But it's really, so this is a good thing that the future is looking bright, right? It is. Did you have any other questions for Chris? No, I don't. I just thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us. It was it was good stuff. Lots of good stuff for our listeners today. Yeah. You got any final thoughts? I know we covered a lot of stuff. Um, I guess one final thought is like, I've listened to every episode of this podcast. So long time listener, first time caller aspect here. Um, so those original, we're going big. Yeah. Um, and I think for any future listeners, anyone listening to this pod current podcast right now is the, what these two preach that introspection, authenticity, you have to have that's very important. It's not something you can just, Oh, it's a podcast. Listen to that. Motivate me for today. I think it is something that needs to be, practically applied to your life every day. So a big kudos to you guys to taking this to the forefront of speaking at conventions and developing this podcast. I think it's awesome. I've definitely learned a lot and very privileged to be here with you guys on this podcast. So thank you. Well, thank you. We're, we're happy that you came along and wanted to do this and maybe we'll get you on in the future and you could be like our PR guy or something. <laughs> if you're paying me the same, maybe I'll be back. <laughs> All right. We're done. Thank you. That was amazing. As we wrap up another episode, this has been Kyle and Carrie from the Heat of Command podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please make sure to follow and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. And as always, we love the feedback. Keep it coming. See you next time.